Let's get to our message today. It comes from Luke 7, verses 36 to 47. Let's read the Word of God together. The Word of God reads, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven, little loves little. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this series that you've been walking us through. We pray that you continue to speak to us and reveal to us, God, how much we need Christ, how much we need to study Christ, and Father, how much we need Christ to be Christ in our lives. So, Lord, continue to reveal yourself through him today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, have any, has anyone here heard of the golden rule? Can anyone tell me the golden rule off the top of your head? Of course, we're Asian. Of course, you're not going to say anything. The golden rule is, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Am I right? right? We all know this common knowledge. But do you know that that actually isn't the original golden rule? Who knew that? There you go. It wasn't. The actual golden rule was, he who has all the gold makes all the rules. It's true, right? And that, that's how it is. And it's been like that in history for many, many years. And unfortunately, that's how it still is today in many countries around the globe. Those who have power have all the power, and therefore they have all the power to abuse those who have no power. And those who don't have power have zero power, and they all get abused, and they are treated like commodities. People under regimes like that have no dignity. They have no value. Children are enslaved and put to work. Women are used and abused and over and over again as objects of pleasure. And when anything, you know, and when they all get hurt or when they get sick, they're just all thrown out and replaced very easily. Commodities, you know, no dignity, no value. Have you guys ever seen this or heard of stuff like that that happens like this around the world? Unfortunately, it happens a lot of places. And we look at those things and we hear those stories. And inside in our hearts, we're like screaming, how can this be? Right? Don't you realize that these people are people? Right? And especially if you're a father today, you realize, oh man, this person's a daughter of somebody. This person's a son of somebody. You know, and you, and you get angry. How can... Human beings treat other human beings like that. Children, women, you know, women, whole villages, countries are treated like that. And then you begin to wonder, you know, as you look into it more, how can whole nations operate like this? But then you do more research, you do more Google searching, and you realize that that's not the minority of how the world works. It's kind of like the majority of how the world works. And 
Uh, it's a really sad thing. But then all of a sudden we look at our country like ours, like Australia, westernized countries like Australia, and you realize that Australia doesn't work like this, you know, thank God. But do you know why? Do you know why Australia doesn't function like this? Australia doesn't function like this because um, our country was actually founded on Christian values. I know these days it's a totally kind of a different story, but it was actually you know, founded upon Christian values. Uh, I know that uh, the Australia's history is not perfect by any means. There were a lot of atrocities committed by you know, the British imperialism that lasts until now, but in general, we've been governed in a way that actually reflects Christian values. Did you guys know that up until just a few years ago, the parliament used to begin every session with the Lord's Prayer? Did you know? It did. Did you know that the preamble to the Australian Constitution includes the words, we are humbly relying on the blessings of the Almighty God? Did you guys know that? In the Constitution, right? The Australian legal system and all of its institutions, while being secular in nation, draws heavily on Christian ethics and morality. Up until a few years ago, every person that stepped into a courtroom had to do what? Put their hand on the Bible. They had to swear that they would tell truth on the Bible. This is Australia, right? God's word actually had authority at one time. And Australian morality and ethics were actually based upon it. And it it wasn't just that they had a fear of God, but it's because these institutions were built upon what the Creator declared about how His creation was to be. And if you were a Christian, you simply followed it. Another Christian nation, the United States, wrote these biblical truths in their Declaration of Independence. They wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. Right? They are endowed by their creator to have certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we would probably all agree. We would probably all agree that those truths are self-evident, aren't they? If you were to think about it for a little while, you would conclude that all men, all women were created and are equal. doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what background. If you are a human being created by the creator, we are all equal. Is that self-evident? Yes, I think if we were to think about it, it is self-evident, right? All men and women were created equally, and that's all because we were created by the same creator. We all have the same father. And when we look at all those other countries that don't practice this, but practice the original golden rule, what we realize is that self-evident really is only self-evident if you acknowledge that there is a relationship between the creator and his creation. But... Even in our, quote-unquote, godly-based society, um, even what's self-evident a lot of times doesn't take traction, right? It doesn't mean that we actually do it. Uh, and here's an example. Like, I think it's self-evident that all of us would agree, if we were to think about it for a while, that all of us should probably keep our bodies healthy uh, and fit. We should probably eat smart, and we should probably exercise a few times a day, right? We all value health. But do we all do that? No. Right? We do, instead of doing what is self-evident, we do what is natural. And what is natural? To rest. To watch TV or Netflix. To eat fried chicken, pizza, and beer. Right? That is what is natural. And so we don't do what's self-evident, even though we know it is self-evident. 
Uh, but that's what happens. And so when nations abuse their people, they're not doing what is self-evident. They're doing what's natural. Natural in the world today is what? Survival of the fittest. It is the strong beating up on the weak. It is leveraging every power that you have so that other people under you uh, will just submit under your authority because you can. It's bullying. That is what is natural. And it still occurs today, even in our country. Just visit any, like, primary school playground. Right? You're going to see it every single day. What's the point? The point is this. Jesus came to this earth and became a man so that he could take what is self-evident and then elevate it to the point where nobody could miss it. Right? And so what we said in the last two sermons is that Jesus came to communicate and to demonstrate who God is and what God is like. The second reason why Jesus came is to elevate the dignity of the individual. The second reason why Jesus Christ came to this earth and did ministry for three and a half years before he went to the cross and did it at at his age is so that he could elevate the dignity of the individual, right? I know that doesn't sound like much because we live in Australia, but that was really huge to people back, back then in 30 AD. You see, in, in, that, in that culture, especially 2,000 years ago, in Roman culture, people were seen as commodities. You know, I don't know if I can say it any worse or any more accurate. People were seen as commodity. When you study the history, especially the history between the relationship between gods, the gods that they, you know, worshipped back then and human beings, that relationship was absolutely ugly. The gods looked upon human beings and they looked upon them with disdain, right? And they just really hated them. And so humans, as a result, seeing that example, they treated each other in terrible ways as well, and if you were blessed with money and if you were blessed with authority and power, they saw that as a blessing from the gods. It gives it was like this uh, gift from the gods to use your power to abuse other people. That's what they did. Since the gods did it, therefore, if I have money and power and authority and position, they must be telling me I can abuse people now too. And it was that simple, and that's exactly what society was like back then. There was a very clear hierarchy in society. It was so clear that even slaves had their own hierarchy. Did you guys know this? You know, there were like house slaves, field slaves, salt mine slaves. I mean, there was hierarchy everywhere. You know, individuals were just, they were commodities. Uh, Children back then had absolutely no rights whatsoever. It's a really sad thing if you ever look into the history of Roman culture, because Many parents, when they had children, do you know what they did? They never named them. It's a very common thing. And the reason why is because they just knew that these children were probably going to die, right? And even if they lived to six months or a year, they still wouldn't name them, right? This is what you find in history. And the reason why is because they had to decide whether they wanted to keep the kid or not. It's true. It's a sad thing, isn't it? And a lot of times, they wouldn't. And they would just discard the child, and the child would die, right? Commodities. It's really, really sad. No value. Women also had no rights. And we studied in many biblical passages, even when they got married, they had no rights whatsoever. It was actually a terrible time for women. Individuals had no value. So therefore, if if you think about it, it makes sense that if you had money or wealth, you were seen as blessed by the gods and therefore given opportunities to become even more wealthy and more powerful. And therefore, and on the other hand, if you had no money, then you had no rights and no respect. It's very, very simple society. So in this world, Jesus steps in. And, you know, it it functioned like that not only in Roman society, but it actually functioned like that in Jewish society as well. In the Israelite world, the religious leaders leveraged their positions with the Roman government 
to keep normal people quiet and peaceful so that the wealthy and elite Jews could maintain their status with the Roman Empire, right? So even in Jewish religious culture, there was what was natural. And so um, if you understand everything I just described, uh, and you were to time travel back 2,000 years ago, everywhere you looked, what you would really see every single day is injustice upon injustice. Injustice upon injustice to the lowly, to the poor, to the children, to the women. It was absolutely everywhere. And the person that suffered the most was who? The individual. Okay? Why? Because the individual, you and me, we probably had little to no rights and we had absolutely no dignity in society. So Jesus comes along into this society and when he became a man, he chose to elevate the dignity of the individual. And he did that in two ways, right? And the first way he did that was through his teaching. If you just pick up any of these Gospels and you read through the story of Jesus Christ, his life story, you're going to find that all he ever did was elevate the dignity of individuals, right? What He started with his sermons, and, and we're, we're going to go through his teachings just really, really quickly. You just notice the first sermons he started preaching was the Beatitudes, blessed are poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You guys remember, this is, you know, the uh, the Sermon on the Mount, right? You, what you have to realize about people like that, uh, poor in spirit, meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, this kind of, these are people that society never honored. These are people that society would never, ever consider to call blessed, right, back then. And when Jesus started his preaching ministry with those words, it must have confused every single person and probably made a lot of people angry. But for those who are poor in spirit, but for those who are meek, but for those who are hungry, oh man, it was the first time they were ever recognized. It was the first time that anyone had ever given them value. They must have felt so honored. You know that story, the, the, everyone knows the story of the Good Samaritan, right? The Good Samaritan story, I'm not going to explain it to you. But the hero of the story is who? Is it the Jewish elite? Is it a religious leader? Is it someone with power? No, it isn't, right? It was a half-breed outcast. Who is the hero of this story? A Samaritan was hated. A, a Samaritan back then, the, the Jews would even say, we, they are to be treated less than cattle. This is how they were treated. But Jesus makes him the hero. That was crazy, right? People were so offended when Jesus taught the parable of the Good Samaritan. You guys remember the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, right? It's a very famous thing. That story was absolutely outrageous. It probably infuriated so many people when they heard that story. Why? Because it's absolutely ridiculous to leave 99 sheep to go get one. Everyone, every shepherd would have been furious. That makes no economic sense. That makes no sense whatsoever. And all of a sudden, he not only does he forego 99 to get this one, the moment he finds this one, what does he do? He throws a party for a sheep, right? For one it's ridiculous. And then he tells a story about the lost coin. The lost coin is a story about a woman who loses a coin. But yet, what does he do? He honors a woman who searches for a coin. And people are like, what are you talking about? Parable of the lost son. You guys know this? The parable of the prodigal son. The crazy part of this thing is what? He elevates who? The second son. The younger son. 
Right? You have to realize back in that kind of culture, only the oldest son had rights. He had the whole inheritance. You know what I'm saying? Everyone else was just, just, they're just they just exist just in case the oldest son dies. Right? They're the backups. But yet, Jesus, to this rebellious, sinful son, what does he do when he returns? He throws in the biggest party in the world. Right? He elevates the second son. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, you can go through story after story after story. of, And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find that Jesus, what Jesus does all throughout his life and ministry, is that he is elevating, he's elevating individuals right, who have never been elevated whatsoever in their society. And if Christians simply studied the life of Jesus more, I think the church would be a different place. You know what I'm saying? You know how else he elevated the dignity of individual? He elevated the dignity of the individual through his interactions with individuals. Right? In John chapter 4, it's the story of the woman at the well. And then all of a sudden, not only was this woman a woman, but it was also a Samaritan woman, which once again is like less than cattle. But not only was she a Samaritan woman, but she was also a very sinful Samaritan woman. That's like four strikes. Okay, three strikes, but with a very, okay? It was, it was not good. And all of a sudden, the disciples see Jesus talking to this very sinful Samaritan woman in public, and they get angry. It's like, what are you doing, Jesus? Don't you know that this is wrong, right? She's going to, you know, you're going to get a bad reputation. But the thing is, Jesus Christ did that. Why? And we find out later, it's because he loved her, and he truly cared for her. And what drove him to do it was that he wanted her to know God, and he wanted her to know how much God loved her, this very sinful Samaritan woman, a person no one in that society would ever consider to love, right? Last time I mentioned very briefly about a Roman centurion, and who did Jesus heal in that story? He healed a slave, right? He healed a slave. Think about that. He didn't heal the centurion. He healed his slave. Uh, last time I met, I, I, I also mentioned that Jesus constantly met with what types of people? Tax collectors, prostitutes, Right? Uh, the, and if I can just generalize it, he constantly met with the people who are hated in society, the rejects of society, the outcasts of society, right? As a matter of fact, one of the 12 disciples was a tax collector, right? Wrote the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, right? I, that's, I'm, what, this is what I'm saying. There was that story about how when Jesus met Zacchaeus, the short dude who had to climb the tree, but the head of the tax collectors, and not only did he say, you know, hey, you need to know God and you need to be saved. What did he say to him? I need to come and hang with you tonight at your house. And not only do we need to hang together, you need to call all your tax collector friends and we got to have a party together because you guys all need to know how much God loves you and cares for you. Do you know what I'm saying? It's crazy. And what about the children? You guys know that story where the parents refused, to, weren't holding back the children, and the children all run to Jesus, and the disciples get all angry, and they're like, hey, Jesus, and they're yelling at these kids, get away from Jesus right? Kind of like the Korean church 20 years ago when all the kids were yelled at when they would run around in here and stuff like that, right? I mean, and you know, because these children, they had no dignity inside. They were just commodities. They were nothings. And what does Jesus do? He says, no, hey, hold up. Stop getting angry. And he embraces them. And then what does he say? He says, <laughs> he says, let the children come. But then he doesn't stop there. He takes it one step further. And then he says this, which is absolutely psycho. He says, you want to know something? There's something you can learn from these kids. If any of you want the kingdom of God in your life, you got to be like one of these kids. 
It was the craziest thing. One of the craziest things Jesus ever said. Because in that statement, do you know what he did? Yes, there's the teaching. But in that statement, what he did was he elevated the status of mere throwaway commodities. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. Over and over, that's what we see. Jesus healed the physically sick. He healed the mentally sick. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. All you wives, it takes only a God to heal a mother-in-law. Amen. You know, I mean, it takes the love of God to do that. Jesus elevated the status and dignity of a convict on the cross. What do you say? Because you know me now, you're going to be with me in paradise. Convict. What did he do? Nothing. Jesus paused in front of these people. He looked them straight in the eye. Right? And he heard their hearts, and he chose to love their souls. And he raised them in his eyes. And he gave dignity to people who never, ever had dignity whatsoever in society. Absolutely amazing. Let me share one story that really epitomizes that principle. And it's the story that we read in today's passage. Jesus is eating at Simon the Pharisee's house. And a prostitute who was shown forgiveness comes weeping into the house and just starts pouring perfume all over Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair and her tears. And then Simon the whole time is thinking, there's no way that this guy's a prophet of God because he would know that this woman's a sinner. And, And he's letting her touch him. Oh, my God. And since he's letting her touch him, he's now dirty too. So there's no way this guy could be God. But then Jesus responds with a parable and he says, hey, you know, he, he tells this parable. There were two people one, who, had, who had debt. One guy had a debt of, you know, thousands of dollars, and the guy had debt of 100 bucks. If both debts were canceled, which one of those two is more grateful? Jesus asked. And then Simon says, oh, the one who was forgiven more. And Jesus tells Simon, basically, that the problem with you, and I love it when People say stuff like, you know what the problem with you is? I love it. But that's exactly what Jesus says, you know, in a nutshell. And this says, the problem with you, Simon, is that you're not filled with gratitude like this woman because you don't understand how truly sinful you really are. That's what Jesus says in this passage. But this woman does. And also, she realizes the extent of forgiveness, and that's why she is doing what she's doing. And then Jesus, so Jesus basically tells Simon, this educated, rich, religious leader of society, what is he doing? He's saying, hey, Simon, you could learn a thing or two by this dirty prostitute woman. Do you think she ever heard that in her life? No. So what did he do in that instant? Jesus elevated this woman, the lowest of the Jews, above the highest level a Jew could ever become. It's one of the greatest stories that you read in Scripture. Isn't that amazing? That's Jesus. Just read the book of Mark. Read the book of Matthew. Read books. It doesn't matter which one you choose. Everywhere Jesus went, Jesus elevated the dignity of individuals around him so much that it was actually completely offensive to those who had prejudice within their hearts. It was completely offensive to those whose natural inclination was to discriminate or to put down people. It was completely offensive to those who truly thought that their money and their status was from God in order to abuse others. They were absolutely offended. But the penultimate display of elevating dignity was achieved at the cross, where Jesus Christ died for the sins of all men. 
When Jesus Christ died upon the cross, he elevated the, the dignity of every individual to a level that none of us, none of us deserve. How? When Jesus Christ died for us, what he stated very, very powerfully is that our lives are worth so much more than the death of a holy God. Right? Isn't that right? He was saying, you guys are so worth it. You guys are so worthy in my eyes that I am willing to die for you. He elevated us so high. He, said, he declared that we were worth more than his own death. And since that's true, then at the foot of the cross is where all men are made equal in the sight of God. Do you guys see that? All men. Because all of mankind were di was died for. Jesus Christ died for all of mankind. Therefore, all of mankind, men and women, children, all human beings were made equal at the foot of the cross. Jesus elevated the dignity of all mankind by displaying for us that we were worthy in his eyes to die for. Right? This is what Paul says in Romans 5, 7, 8. He says, Very rarely will a person die for a good person, but God shows us his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what this verse is saying is something very, very powerful. What it's saying is that Jesus just didn't die for the good people. Right? He died for all people. Why? Because all of us are sinners. And one thing you're going to notice when you read through the gospel is this. Did you ever, have you ever noticed? Right? In every story, you can, I don't care if you learned it in school or if you learned it recently. Did you ever notice how Jesus never labels anybody? Right? He doesn't call someone what? Like smart. He doesn't call someone dumb. He doesn't call someone fast or slow. Right? He doesn't call someone faster or slower. He doesn't call someone a doctor or a He doesn't call anyone by their occupation. You ever notice this? He never calls anyone anything. No labels. Why is that? It's because people were just people to him. That's it. You know? It's not because he was naive, because he, our passage even says he knew the hearts of men. He knew that there were tax collectors. He knew that there were prostitutes. He knew that there were, you know, religious elite. He knew all that. But in his eyes, there wasn't much difference between a pastor and a prostitute. It's that, it's that simple, right? One th famous theologian said, you know, as a human being, it's pretty awesome because when we look at the earth, we get to see these majestic mountains like in the Alps in Switzerland. We also get to see all these like huge valleys, kind of like, you know, the Grand Canyon or the Blue Mountains. And it's awesome. It's beautiful. But, you know, when you look at the earth from space, it just looks like one smooth ball. Right, what's that saying? It's perspective, right? Looking at something. And so when you think about God and he looks at human beings, right? Does he see the differences we see? Are they that, are they that really that big to him? No, they're not. Right? Maybe there really isn't much of a difference between a pastor and a prostitute. And there really, really isn't. We're all sinners in his eyes. So he never needed labels. He didn't have to die a little bit more for those who are a little bit more sinful. He didn't have to die a little bit less for those who are a little bit better as a human being. We were simply all sinners who were separated from God who needed a Savior because we're all sinners. Right? Do you guys understand this? Do you guys get this? And perhaps that's why when you read the story of Jesus Christ, he absolutely had no tolerance for self-righteousness. People who thought they were better than another human being in any way. Anytime you come across a story like that, Jesus would just blast them, right? That's what he did, because there's no reason for that, 
right? He spent his ministry condemning that because he knew that there was hardly any difference between any of us. To borrow an illustration I used a long time ago, uh, cockroaches all look the same, you know? The same. Uh, sinners all look the same. And especially when people who are supposedly said that they represented God in society, like the religious elite, when they use their positions to hurt people, wow, that's what made Jesus furious. You know what I'm saying? And that's why you see him getting furious all the time at religious leaders. In God's eyes, we're all the same. Therefore, at the foot of the cross, we lo- here we go, we lose all rights to discriminate against anyone for any reason. You guys get that? At the foot of the cross, we lose all rights to discriminate against anyone for any reasons. Jesus Christ didn't do it. And if Jesus is correct, what that means is that everybody is somebody that God loves. Everybody is someone that Jesus died for, right? This is a self-evident truth. If you simply read scripture, you're going to discover that truth. But it's not natural. Instead of practicing practicing this truth, unfortunately, many times Christians still practice the golden rule, even at church, right? How many of you teachers... (laughs) right? Treat your kids like kids, you know? How many of you have abused people, right? We got abused growing up in church, right? It's still practiced today. And for the Christian who discriminates against another or practices prejudice and judgment towards another human being, what this Christian is basically saying is that God's standards must be lower than mine. You know, I must have higher standards than God himself. And if you think about it, it's actually an extraordinary disrespect to what God has done and accomplished through his son, Jesus. Jesus became a man and died on the cross to elevate the dignity of all individuals. So the last thing that we should be doing is bringing anyone down in any way. Do you guys understand this? Is it amazing? Do you guys ever think about the cross like this? Do you ever think about Jesus Christ dying upon the cross? And we know, we know he died for our sins, but this is what he accomplished. Not only is this what he accomplished, but this is what he's called all of us to. It's absolutely Amazing. What does it mean for us? Two things, and then I'll close. Number one, I think we need to repent, and I think this is something that God is telling the church today. If you call yourself a Christian, you cannot tolerate any hint of this attitude of, I am better than this person because dot, dot, dot. You cannot have that. It cannot be part of your operating system whatsoever. I don't care what field it is. I don't care in what context it is. You cannot, right? Um, we need to, if once we do something like that, we're actually disrespecting the work of Christ, whether it's in your heart, whether it's in your mind, whether it's in, with your mouth or, or your actions. That's what we're doing. We need to get rid of that. And if you've done that, if you practice that kind of discrimination or prejudice, we need to repent of that. But Eddie, it's, it's true though. I am faster than this person, right? And it's true. My go-kart yesterday went a lot slower because I'm heavier than other people, right? You know, I'm gifted with weight. You know, people, people think that the light people, you know, is, that's better. Anyway, you know, the thing is, and, oh, sure, are, are you smarter in economics and mathematics than that person? Yes, right? Do you, are, are, you know, do you have a higher paying job than this other person? Yes, you do. Do you go to church and do you serve more? Do you, do you spend more time coming to church than this other person? Yes, you do. But are you better? No, you're not. All cockroaches look the same. You know what I'm saying? Sorry, I don't mean to offend you, especially if you're a newcomer. You're not a cockroach, but it's just, you know, okay? 
Jesus became a man, lived the life that he did and died, the death that he did to elevate others, to equalize all of us at the foot of the cross. But the moment you practice the golden rule in your heart, the evil golden rule, or in front of another person, the moment you gossip about someone behind their back or in your mind, you know, if you can do that, you desecrate the work that he accomplished for us 2,000 years ago so that he could elevate every single person. Do you know what I'm saying? So we need to repent for that and change that direction within our lives. Secondly, we need to repair those relationships. You know, think about it. If Jesus lived and died to show us that we were all created and treated and valued equally in the eyes of God, then, then doesn't it make sense that even though you may live a good Christian life, Jesus says what? He says, if you've hurt somebody like that, and if you've treated others like that, I'm not going to accept your worship until you go and reconcile with that person, apologize and make that relationship right. right? Isn't that crazy that Jesus would say that? But it makes sense because every person was elevated at the foot of the cross. If you've ever judged anyone or hurt others because you thought you were better, will you go and repair that relationship, apologize, ask them for forgiveness, choose to love them like God does? And here's the hard part. Going forward, Jesus' life as a man calls us to give dignity to people that we don't want to. You know what I'm talking about? And the moment I say that sentence, there are probably a few faces or a few names. Oh, even that guy, right? Yes, that guy, that girl. And the feeling, that uneasy feeling that we have within our heart towards people we don't like, the people that we don't want to give dignity to, will you make a promise as a result of Jesus' life? Will you make a promise, because of the cross, will you make a promise never to give validity to those feelings ever again for the rest of your life? Right? That's sin. Don't do that. Right? Resolve never to give that feeling credit anymore. From this point, choose to live self-evident and not natural, okay? Um, we're going to treat others like Jesus treated them because one of the reasons why Jesus came and dwelt among us was to illustrate and communicate and to teach that all men, all men are loved by God and have dignity because they bear the image of God in them. Can you imagine if the church got this right the past 100 years in Australia? It would be amazing, wouldn't it? Everything, I think everything would be different if we started out this way. You know, if we didn't treat the people in Australia the way that we did, if we don't, even if the church today didn't treat people outside of the church or even inside the church the way we do today, it'd be so different. Why can't our reputation be like, oh man, look at those Christians? You know, they're so narrow minded in the way they view salvation. You know, they think that Jesus is the only way. How narrow minded, how arrogant, how like full of themselves they are, right? That's fine. But oh my gosh, look at how they just love everybody. They don't judge anybody. They just love and they're generous. Why can't that be our reputation? You know? That's what Jesus did. Let's pray. Jesus was amazing. He accomplished what each one of us deep inside our heart knows is true. That every single person 
every single person is somebody to God. They have value. They have dignity because they were made in the image of God. And therefore, what did he do? He went to every single person that wasn't dignified nor elevated in society. Looked into their hearts, looked into their eyes, grabbed their hands and said, God knows you. God loves you. God cares for you. You are somebody to him. And if I'm, if I'm right, that's probably the reason why you became a Christian. That's probably the reason why you remain a Christian is because you know that you're loved by God. You know that God cares about you that much that in his eyes, you are like a treasure. That's why you still come to church. So the question then is, why is it knowing all this and now knowing this information that Jesus equalized all of mankind at the foot of the cross, why is it that we still choose to judge? Why is it that we still choose to practice prejudice? Why is it that we still choose to discriminate? That's something that the church needs to change. So I invite you to repent. And let's become exactly who God created us and saved us to be, a representative of his image in this world. And maybe in your heart you feel almost called to now make your life's ministry to do exactly the same to those in our society whose dignity needs to be elevated a bit. And ask God to help you do that, to become that and to be that in our generation today. Let's pray. that you looked at us and you couldn't let us go. You weren't like the Roman society where they just tossed children aside. The moment we rebelled, you ran after us and you declared how valuable we were to you. And ever since the garden, that's exactly what you've been doing. And we are so, val we are so valuable in your eyes. All of mankind is so valuable to you in your eyes that you had to send your son to die for us. And even though sin allowed this world to become such an abusive environment, such a horrific place in some places, we thank you that the true hope that we have and all of mankind has is the cross and what Jesus Christ accomplished for all of mankind for us at the cross. So Lord, I pray that you convict our hearts, not only to reconcile the relationships that we need to, but especially to reconcile our generation back to the hope in Christ.
Father, give us a heart and a vision. If you gave your life because you thought of us that highly, Lord, help us to be your children who truly see our brothers and sisters that highly in this world, that we are willing to give ourselves, God, to show them how much they are loved and valued by you. God, convict the church, convict our hearts, move us so that we wouldn't just come to church and just enjoy a sermon or enjoy singing or enjoy just giving a little bit here, a little bit there, but God, use our lives to make an eternal difference in society today, especially when there's so much injustice going on in this world. Lord, move us to be men and women who truly see that every human being Every life is somebody valuable in your eyes. So help us to empty ourselves. To take on the nature of a servant. And to give ourselves so that people can know you and be reconnected with you in our generation. We thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite the communion helpers to come to the table. We're going to have communion today. And there's something I want to always remind you, and I want you to remember as we do communion together. Um, and that this moment, communion, is a moment that you share with Jesus personally. It's a you and him moment. Okay, So communion is not just a religious ritual to eat something and to drink something. But it really is a communion moment, a time for you and Christ to share hearts with each other. So come with that as your goal. Come to spend time with Jesus. Come to enjoy him. Come to be thankful for him and come to eat more of him. And as you eat the wafer and as you drink uh, the juice, let it remind you of what it cost for you to be his. But also let it remind you of what it bought for you is an intimate walk with God and enjoy it. All right, so communion is a time to be thankful and as a result, it's a time to get closer to Christ and to have more of Christ. It's not just a ritual or a spiritual practice, but it's a time that Christ himself has ordained so that we can have more of him and to commune with him. So I hope all of us approach the elements with that heart. Right. What we're going to do is we're going to pass around the wafers first and, and you know, take one and then all I'd like for you to do is to pray before you take it. The only real instruction that the Bible gives us is to, if you're going to do communion, to do it appropriately, to do it with the right heart, a heart that's thankful, a heart that wants Christ. If you don't want, if you don't have that heart, don't take part in communion. That's it. But if you have that heart, take part. Right? So let's take a wafer, pray, talk to him, be thankful, and then eat it when you're ready. After that, we'll pass around the drink, same thing. Everyone has enjoyed the drink. Can you just pass down your cups to one side?
betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance.
cross, we were forgiven of all of our sins. But more than that, the cross declared that we were worthy enough to save, worthy enough to die for, worthy enough to be elevated, and also worthy enough to carry this calling to elevate others and to show them how amazing it is to be your child. So Lord, we thank you that we can have more of you today to remember what you did for us so that we can remember who we were truly saved to be. God, help us be that and be that to our generation so that our generation might know you and fear you and follow you with all that we have.